welcome to Your Financial Planet podcast with David Valliere and the Synergy Capital Solutions team. This is the show that brings you synergistic financial strategies to help you enjoy the fullness of today and empower your next generation. Join us for this journey to help you synergize your finances. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Your Financial Planet. I am your host, David Valliere, and super excited to uh, actually be recording the first podcast of 2023 for our firm. We've had some really cool things going on with uh, next-gen team members within our firm, and we've just kind of been doing some restructuring and promoting and reassigning of assignments. So super excited to um, get uh, some of our really smart people in work in a, in, in a new way and looking at the backside of our business with a fresh set of eyes. So we appreciate your patience with that. I know I've had some conversations with clients asking about when is our next podcast coming out? We haven't heard one this year. So first of all, thank you for that feedback. We do love that feedback, but uh, we're kicking it off this this year in 2023 with our Q2 market update and uh, super happy to bring on Eric Nahat. Eric, welcome back. Great to be back. So we have been having some interesting conversations as an investment committee. Wanted to kind of pull some of those conversations into the light for our listeners. So with that, let's just jump right in with a recap. What's happened over the last couple of weeks here? Fill us in uh, where we're at and then we'll get, get things going from there. Yeah, I think that's a, a good spot to start because it's been a, a busy couple of weeks for sure. From a, a timeline perspective, uh, I, I guess it starts on, on March 7th, where Fed Chairman Jerome Powell testified to Congress that interest rates were likely to be higher than previously anticipated. So on the 7th, uh, markets uh, priced in more interest rate hikes. And then a few days later, we, of course, saw the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, which was the 16th largest bank in the United States and the second largest bank failure in, in U.S. history. So then uh, immediately expectations changed from more rate hikes to rate cuts. Shortly after that, we saw another bank failure, which was Signature Bank. With that came uh, the implementation of, of backstops and credit facilities from federal authorities to help prevent additional bank runs and shore up depositors so help ease some of the concerns about people getting their money out of these banks then abroad credit suisse issues emerged and ubs stepped in to acquire and save them otherwise they would have collapsed a couple of days later um, intermixed within all of that we actually had some in line with expectations economic data and then to wrap it up on wednesday march 22nd the Federal Reserve raised short-term interest rates by another quarter point, now targeting a range for short-term rates between 4.75 and 5%. So within these past few weeks, uh, we've had what feels like years worth of news. I'd say my one line summary of all of it would be market volatility and renewed uncertainty, much of it due to banking. Yeah, some really interesting things there. And as we kind of dig into the details of, pardon me, the Silicon Valley and Credit Suisse deals, uh, each very unique, one obviously domestic and and the other foreign there. But uh, those have been really interesting conversations to dig under the hood of, of each of those and understand what's going on there or what had happened there with each of those. Let's Let's look forward a little bit. There's been a lot of concern about fallout from everything that's happened. Talk to me about what you expect going forward here. What are you thinking? 
Well, I mentioned uncertainty, right? I was on a, a call last week with the previous Secretary of Treasury, Larry Summers, and one of the big takeaways was how high this uncertainty is compared to uh, other times in history. And uh, as you know, a fallout is something that our investment committee spent a lot of time debating, analyzing this week uh, in our investment committee meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, you've had recent stresses on the banking system, and it, it still remains to be seen how these will impact the economy. There's a couple different scenarios. You could have a, a downside scenario where the unfolding financial strains on the banks lead to significantly tighter lending standards by the banks, which could then constrict economic activity and in turn inflation, but it could also uh, hit company revenues and, and, and earnings and then weaken the employment side. So see unemployment go up uh, and also weaken wage gains. So that's a downside scenario. The upside scenario is that we could be starting to see uh, some of these storms fade into clearer skies. We don't see clear skies yet, but we could be getting there. We've already gone through a, a lot of, of the pain financially. Financial conditions have tightened, tightened meaningfully. I'd say housing, manufacturing, and markets have all experienced corrections in the past year. We're starting to see things be more balanced than they were entering 2022. Rate hikes could be near, nearing a potential end. More than likely, we saw inflation peak and, and actually could be uh, dropping down fairly dramatically right now. So far, the reports on, on economic activity haven't shown a clear negative reaction uh, to the banking issues. And uh, on the banking side, uh, deposit flows back into banking look to have stabilized over the past week. I'd say from a Federal Reserve perspective, the the most recent messaging has been cautious with continuing rate hikes if data warrants it. What's really interesting to me is with uh, releases this week, the, the Federal Reserve looks to now be forecasting recession that starts later this year. And we know this from looking at their growth forecast for 2023. The Fed is, is forecasting 0.4% growth for the full year in 2023, even as the Atlanta Fed's uh, GDP, GDP Now model projects a 3.2% real GDP growth in the first quarter. So they're expecting growth in, in the first quarter that's already happened. And the only way to get to 0.4% for the full year is if the level of real GDP is lower in the fourth quarter than it is in the first quarter. And when you also factor in that their forecast for unemployment averages, say, 4.5% uh, for the fourth quarter this year versus 3.6% now, that's data as of February, that looks like a potential recession in the future. Okay, Derek, so a couple of things there that we talked about that I, I just want to put a spotlight on. You mentioned some conversation about forecasting recession. I talked about that, but also we talked about these three banks failing and some of the color behind that, for lack of a better term. You know, I it would be unreasonable for people that have been in the markets for a time, you know, to not ask the question, are we facing another, you know, 2008 scenario, are banks failing? Is it going to be a really broad issue in the banking industry? Would love to get your feedback for listeners on that point. And then let's talk about kind of your comment there about forecasting recession. So let's talk banks first, and then we'll go to that. Sounds good. I think it's important to recognize that the, the current financial problems are in banking are very different from those back in 2008, 2009. The main issue back then was credit risk, right? Primarily related to residential real estate loans and, and securities and how the markets were pricing in that risk. They were pricing it incorrectly, and there was far too much of it. Uh, today, the primary issue is interest rate risk, right, or duration risk, 
on high quality bonds. And so when uh, interest rates go up, the value of bonds go down. Uh, one reason why Silicon Valley Bank uh, got into, a, 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 I'd say, a, a lot of issues is they had very long dated government bonds, which are very secure, but they still had interest rate risk. And so as interest rates went up, their value of their assets dropped dramatically. Uh, I would actually say it differs a lot from our portfolios where we've had less interest rate risk uh, than the broader market because we saw high inflation and low interest rates. So we expected interest rates to go up. So Silicon Valley Bank kind of did the opposite there. And that was one of the big issues with a lot of the, these banks. So now the Fed has set up a, a new facility for banks that lets them, in effect, offload those securities to the Federal Reserve for a small fee. And that allows them to, to paper over their balance sheet problems, uh, at least for the banks that are able to take a small hit on earnings. And from communication by the Fed, I think it's highly unlikely that they'd actually let a bank fail. Um, and I would say from a banking banking perspective and really an economic perspective, we're still on much more solid footing than, than a 2008 scenario. So no, I don't see banking issues being the same. We're, of course, uh, going to continue to monitor everything closely. But if we do see a recession, we can talk about that in a little bit here. Uh, we wouldn't expect it to be as severe as, say, the financial crisis. Wonderful. Appreciate that feedback. So you hit the nail on the head here with recession. Let's go there. Let's talk about like what would a recession mean and how much of that might already be factored into some of you know the noise, if you will, in the market already. Talk to me about that. And, and, and that's a big part of it. The market will always move before the economic data, right? So uh, markets will trade down um, before data gets starts to get worse. And then what we're going to see is eventually we're going to see a, a recovery in markets uh, or a positive trend upwards in markets before the those economic data and the news headlines start to improve significantly. As of right now, we're down, uh, say, roughly 18% from highs with some much bigger pullbacks in different sectors or, or companies ingrained within that. But that's been driven by the fact that record interest rate tightening puts additional stress on consumers and businesses and the financial system and increases the likelihood for a recession. Uh, eventually, markets will bottom, begin to recover before the economic data and, and those news headlines get better. So could we see recession or, or a slow growth env environment in the next few years? Um, I'd say certainly uh, it wouldn't be surprising, uh, nor necessarily concerning. Recessions are part of the economic cycle, and they exist to fix uh, different imbalances in the economic system, for example, inflation. And things are definitely more balanced than when we entered uh, 2022. We expect the global economy to ebb and flow. You expect uh, good periods of growth. You expect peaks. You expect bad periods of, of lower or negative growth and then eventual recovery. That's driven by the economic cycle and, and driven by changes to both, I'd say, natural and unnatural supply and demand. So we expect to go into a negative growth trend from time to time in our long-term planning, our Monte Carlo simulations and our portfolio discipline all account for that. I think one other thing that jumps out to me too, right, is now that interest rates have been more normalized, right? So the, the Federal Reserve has raised these interest rates. Uh, if things do worsen on the economic front, the Fed has that tool in their pocket again where they can cut interest rates to stimulate the economy. And so one of the big things about normalizing interest rates was getting to that point 
where now the Federal Reserve has that as a tool again to, to, to stimulate economy if it needs to. Um, like I said, we're going to continue to, to monitor everything closely, but I wouldn't expect any kind of drawdown or recession to be as severe a, a, as the financial crisis in 2008 or as sharp as what we saw during COVID. COVID was a very, very sharp drawdown and sharp recession with a quick recovery there. I would say more shallow and, and not as drastic. Got it. And I, I think it's really important for listeners to hear that this is a normal part of the business cycle. I think that's a really good point. Business cycles have to move through times like this on occasion. And we're we're ready for that. We're anticipating that. Really good point. So let's kind of finish on the economy here, and then we'll move into some particulars. But anything else that you're watching on the economy that stands out? Yeah, and I've mentioned uh, uh, some of this before when I've been on. One of the most important things for us is the financial health of the consumer, because the U.S. consumer is the most important component of global growth. Uh, and right now, that consumer is still doing okay. Um, household debt service ratios or, or debt payments as a, a percentage of disposable income have come off of record lows, but they're still in line with pre-COVID levels and much better than they were in, say, that, that 2008 financial crisis scenario that we talked about. After a few years of building up savings, consumers are now draw, drawing down on those savings to support their spending. Um, so that's one thing that we're watching because that can lead to either higher debt or lower spending as credit costs have now gone up. And then I'd say lastly, watching the, the financial health of companies. So far, they've been able to pass a lot of their increased input costs. So the inflation on their side, passing that through to consumers um, and, and with inflation peaking, that might start to, to go away as a potential issue. And, and we're watching the health of the banking system. So I'd say despite the recent issues that popped up over the last number of weeks, it's structurally much more sound than was in, say, 2007 through 2009, entering the financial crisis. Okay, so we've talked about a couple of things here with the economy. You know, as you mentioned just here on, on the onset here, the the banking we're watching, we're watching the consumer, but we've also mentioned that we're there's some forecast for recession. Let's get into the details of that and talk about how that translates to por portfolio construction. And let's start with equities. Talk to us about stocks. How how is that all that data that we're filtering impacting our equity portfolios? What's interesting is that given everything going on, right? And we, we just talked through the, the the year's worth of headlines that we've had over the last right. number of weeks. Right. Um, stocks have actually behaved quite well. I would say with so many moving pieces out there, uh, the market's been struggling a bit for direction. But as of right now, most markets are up a, a handful of percent for the quarter. And we've seen a, a bit of reversal growth stocks leading the versus uh, value stacks lagging behind uh, a bit. And, and that's that's really changed from, I would say, the last 15 months or so where we've seen value stocks uh, pave the path in terms of top performance as interest rates have been going up. Okay. So why is it we we can have all this bad news, but the markets have not traded down significantly? Help us to understand that. Oh, I think it's a couple of different things. Um, uh, a lot of the issues that have popped up uh, on the financial side uh, have been more idiosyncratic or related to the company itself. For example, Silicon Valley Bank did not have a diversified depositor base. They worked with startup companies and, and venture capital. And as interest rates go up, that's one area of funding that dries up really quickly. So these venture capital startup companies weren't getting as much funding, and they therefore had to draw down on their bank accounts just for operational use. So they had to pull some of their assets from the bank. Um, 
They also had, the bank also had a risky loan to deposit ratio. So they had a lower level of deposits compared to the loans that they had outstanding, which makes them more volatile and more risk of collapse. And then um, the other big thing was what I mentioned earlier, they took a lot of interest rate risk with their bonds. So all three of those on the Silicon Valley bank side kind of compounded to create the collapse. And then you look at something like Credit Suisse, where they've had decades of scandals and mismanagement. Uh, and they were actually going through a restructuring before they had to be purchased. And so that that's something that's been on radars for issues for a long time. And so we had the idiosyncratic side. Uh, also, markets right are down, say, 18% or so from high. So a lot of this pain economically, or a lot of this bad news has been priced in to some extent. And then uh, I'd say on, on the growth stock side, we've seen growth stocks rebound a bit because expectations for rate hikes um, have now actually dropped pretty significantly since we ran into banking issues. So uh, the market believes that now the Federal Reserve uh, may not raise rates as, as much as previously anticipated, and therefore, one, uh, not necessarily break anything significant in the economy, but also a lower uh, long-term rate markets could be beneficial to stocks, uh, especially growth stocks. could we see markets go down another five, 10 or, or percent or, or more from here. Sure, it's always possible. But on, I'd say on a three to five year basis now, things actually look much more attractive than when we entered, say, 2022. So it's really interesting, maybe for listeners, this is a couple of things I heard from you there, you down 18% or so from highs, like from an investor standpoint, a professional investor like my seat. I go, all right, well, that might be a buying opportunity, right? But then you also talk about, you know, markets could do, go down another 5 to 10% from here. From a listener standpoint, I'm trying to put myself in the seat of somebody that may not be an ex experienced investor. Would you say things are more or less attractive right now and then help us to understand why? Yeah, I, I think it's important to remember that the markets recover before the economic data, right? And actually, equities tend to perform uh, well historically after rate hike cycles, like we've seen. Currently, looking at the market, we're trading at about a, a 7.3 times forward PE ratio. Uh, uh, so that's a price to earnings ratio, or essentially uh, how much money you're paying for, for future earnings from a company. That's fairly in line with historical averages. So pretty average there. And it's below where it was when we entered 2022. And I'd say a, a broader theory sense, if you're putting money into your accounts uh, or say your retirement accounts, right? Every uh, market drop is an opportunity for you to, to buy something that should be worth much more in the future when you eventually sell it. And for example, one of my favorite charts as of late has been looking at the length of bear markets and potential returns from this point. There's only been uh, two bear markets in history to last three years or longer, uh, but say that happened here, uh, that'd still be an annual return for US stocks of roughly eight and a half percent from this point. So on a forward-looking basis, though we could continue to see more volatility in the short term, things look much more attractive than when we entered 2022, say 15 months ago or so. Gotcha. Gotcha. Then just to clarify a point there, I think like from a trading standpoint, I think you probably just misspoke, but you said forward PE ratio of, of seven, you were really meaning it's like 17 now, right? 17. Yep. Yep. Sorry. Uh, yeah, if, so, yeah. If I misspoke 17.3, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> 7.3 would be phenomenal. Yeah. That'd be great. That's not the, not the <laughs> case. They'd be telling um, a really good yeah, story. 17.3. So uh, I'd say very average compared to long-term trends. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just just a clarification point for listeners. Um, all right. So let, what have you been doing? What have we been doing here with portfolios? Let's fill some listeners in on some of our strategy there. Mm-hmm. And well, as always, we've been adjusting the portfolio based off of opportunities or areas that we need to shore up out there. I'd say right now we're positioned for a combination of defense and offense. So that's diversification, right? And do that diversification or, or not having all of your eggs in one basket having exposure to U.S. and international positions, having, even though we've been overweight the U.S. and, and feel more comfortable with the outlook and the banking system and all that here, we still maintain some exposure to other companies across the world. We have exposure between large companies or, or more mid-sized companies or more smaller, just domestic-based companies. Uh, we have uh, exposure to, there's 11 different sectors, right? So financials, healthcare, technology, utilities, et cetera. Uh, so due to this diversification, we still have names that are doing well through this bear market and, and some of them up fairly significantly for the year. Um, most importantly though, I'd, I'd say trying to stay the course. Uh, we still prefer quality, um, profitability, uh, stability, and realized growth in the types of companies that we own. Uh, we know that we're not going to be able to sidestep or, or correctly time the market every time for, for potential volatility or recessions or bear markets. And so we like to own companies that we know are going to, to persevere, stand strong through it, and then thrive when we get out on the other side. Yeah. And just to, thank you for that. And just as you're saying that, I, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, what a what a sense of comfort during volatile times to be able to go back to the financial plan and look at it and go, yeah, no, it's still, it still scratches out. It, this is short-term noise and it doesn't overly impact my long-term plan. So exactly, um, real good stuff there. All right. So let's transition a little bit. You mentioned diversification. So let's, we got to talk fixed income or bonds. Talk to us about bonds. The biggest thing with bonds has been that duration or that sensitivity of, of the price of a bond to change in interest rates. And as interest rates have gone up significantly over the past 15 months or so, uh, bond prices, especially those long data bond, long dated bonds, uh, like in that uh, Credit Suisse uh, or Silicon Valley Bank example, those have gotten hit really hard. In our portfolios, we've had a shorter duration than markets, so less exposure to interest rates going up. So that's been beneficial and helped portfolios there. Kind of digging under the hood a bit, around 70% of our, our fixed income or our bond exposure has finite maturities of which the duration is under three. And, and so finite maturities, meaning that these actually have holdings that come due uh, over say 2024, 2025, 2026, et cetera. And so we know if we hold them to maturity, we're, we're, we're going to come due and, and have the principal returned and we're going to earn whatever, whatever yield to maturity that we had purchased it at. Our portfolio duration or that exposure to interest rate change it is say about 3.2 years right now versus say six to six and a half years for benchmarks. So that's where it's been beneficial as interest rates have gone up. Diversification, just like it's important in stocks, also important in bonds. So that's where we have the other 30% of our exposure uh, being pretty market-based. So if rates do go down here, right? So say we see a recession and we see rate cuts and rates start to go down, we do have a portion of the portfolio locked in for uh, for longer term there and locking in those rates that these higher rates that we're seeing now. Uh, I'd say outside of core bonds, we've looked at alternative income generation uh, instead of that that core core long duration holdings on the cash side. Uh, as people have seen, cash equivalent rates have risen dramatically, creating competition for for stocks and bonds. That's where we've seen something like treasuries being 
a fairly attractive investment for we've worked with a number of large companies that have a ton of cash on their balance sheet and starting to invest that and where they're picking up some yield there versus keeping it in a bank account, not earning anything. Um, overall, though, for our core portfolios entering 2022, we were looking at a one to 2% target income. That target income is now closer to a five, uh, five and a half percent. Okay, great. And so talk to our listeners about some other things that we've been doing in portfolios. I would say as always, we look for, we're continually evaluating the portfolio and the holdings. We're continuing to rebalance the portfolios. We're prudent and appropriate. Last year, we did a lot of tax swapping. So we took advantage of the price movement from a, a tax perspective and, and taxable accounts. And, and we swapped holdings to, to different ones that had similar exposure, but allowed us to realize losses on the position. So for say clients that were taking money out that we had to realize gains for, we were able to net out a lot of those gains with our tax swapping. I'd say also uh, for those clients that are in distribution mode uh, at the beginning of 2022, before the down market, uh, we were, we raised cash for those clients and we continue to do so after good short-term runs in markets. And I talked through that, that, that diversification side on, on, on the stock side. So we continue to trim from those names that is still outperformed to help fund distributions there. I'd say for clients that are in accumulation mode, so they're adding to portfolios, we continue to phase in cash bit by bit. And, and overall, I'd say the big one-line takeaway is maintaining the discipline to the portfolio which is maintaining the discipline to the financial plan. Great, great. Now tie a bow on this for me, kind of summarize some of this for our listeners. I would say we don't know exactly when a market recovery will be and re recession risks are higher. But even if we do see a recession, I think the overall economy in the financial system it is much healthier than in that 2008, 2009 scenario. Up until this point, uh, the U.S. consumers remained in excellent shape. Uh, demand's been strong. Consumer leverage have, has come up from record lows, but still in line with where it was pre-COVID. Uh, unemployment rates are still low at 3.6%. Uh, businesses in general are still healthy. And so overall, data is weakening. And, and on the economic side, right, data could continue to get worse. We could see a, a, a potential recession, but we had a pretty strong base in our longer term. So that three to five year outlook that we discussed is still positive. Okay, talk to me about the emotional side of this. Then I, I think I've got some comments as well, but I'd love to get your thoughts on to share with listeners about the emotional side. One of the most important things, and, and I always view one of our most important jobs, not letting the emotional side cloud your judgment. Uh, we truly understand that these can be really scary times for people financially. And that's where we try to, to, to sift through that, right? Focus on the logic and the long-term planning side of it. Try not to be too reactionary and more proactive. Um, there's always going to be uncertainty when it comes to investing, especially in the short term. As we get through this, more issues are always going to pop up. There'll be, there's always something that the news headlines will talk about. Uh, we expect more variability among returns and stocks, but uh, also, like I said, this is a much more attractive entry point for, I'd say, than when we entered 2022. And, and Continue to believe that you you can't time the market in the short term. Um, that's not a viable strategy. We continue to abide by those predetermined strategic asset allocation and then our rebalancing approaches. And so that means not trying to, to wait to find the exact bottom for the market, but instead, say, with new cash assets, phasing them in uh, over time to long-term holdings. Or if you're taking money out, 
phasing money out over time. So overall, try to hang in there. I know it's scary. We truly, truly understand that, but that's why we have the financial plan to go back to. Absolutely. Well said. I'm, as you're talking about it and in this whole conversation, I was thinking about uh, being on an airplane recently flew and you know the pilot gave, came on after takeoff and said, hey, in about 15 minutes, we're going to get some turbulence, right? Uh, and sure enough, about 15 minutes later, the plane started bumping around and everybody tightened up their belt, but felt a lot safer with a heads up that, hey, we've seen this, we're, we're aware of it and it's it's coming and we're going to get through it okay. And that's kind of how I feel about a really well thought out financial plan because the markets will have recessionary times. It's part of the business cycle. So um, yeah, it's a good I, analogy there. I like that. Yeah. It's just a real sense of relief. Like, hey, we've got a plan. We know where we're flying. We're aware of what's ahead. There's turbulence coming. You know, it's going to be uncomfortable for a little bit, but we'll get right through this and get you landed safely. So if you're a listener and you do not have a financial plan or you're feeling that way, reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can reach out to us directly at hello, H-E-L-L-O, at SynergyCapitalSolutions.com. That pours into about five of our team members' inbox, so we will reach out to you directly. Or you can reach out on our website, SynergyCapitalSolutions.com. We have tons of, of content, our blog, our podcast, information about our... If you're a, a client and you need, you just need another conversation, feeling like you need some reassurance and an update on the plan, we're here. We're actively reaching out to you, but if you feel you need something, please reach out to us. And with that, Eric, thank you for joining us. I appreciate the conversation. Listeners, we, we wish you well. We're excited to be back on the air and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you for listening to Your Financial Planet, the Synergize Your Capital podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Synergy Capital Solutions is a financial planning and investment management firm registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk. And there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Synergy Capital Solutions and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Synergy Capital Solutions and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. <laughs>